Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, here we go, here we go. Coming to you live from the greatest country in the world. Broadcasting from the tippy top of the world famous Fox News headquarters in New York City, baby. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Another big day of top shelf radio in a bottom feeding political world, folks. We had just such a horrible moment down in Nashville yesterday that the president, of course, immediately politicized once he got done telling jokes about ice cream. This guy's a serious ass. We're going to get into it with NYPD Inspector Paul Morrow, who will give us the latest from law enforcement. Outnumbered co-host Emily Campagno uh, weighs in on the media's attempt to spin the shooter as some sort of a victim. The media is a bunch of losers. Really messy. And Brian Brenberg, he is, of course, the host of The Big Money Show. Uh, He's going to help us shift gears and discuss President Biden's war on the rich. And he'll explain how it's already harming the poor. Thanks, big government weenuses. Yeah, what a wild day to be in talk radio. 888-788-9910. 888-788-9910. This is an ideology-free show in the sense that, yes, I'm a conservative, but I'm not doing a conservative talk show. I am doing an American talk show. This country is desperately in need of a place where people can engage in a good faith exchange of ideas. You understand? That's it. That's all we're after. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how dumb you are. No, ma'am. You could be a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent. We don't care. Just don't be a... Especially, seriously, today of all days, don't be a because there is no shortage of them out there today. Uh, We were on Gutfeld last night, and uh, if you missed it, I posted a clip online. I will post another clip from the show later in the day. It was a funny show. We had a really good time. Sadly, there is nothing funny about what's going on in this American moment as it pertains to the, you know, horrific events down in Nashville yesterday. What happened? You know, if you're just tuning in and you're just getting up to speed. A mentally ill person uh, perpetrated a hate crime against a Christian school. And sadly, the response has been to go after everything but that basic fact. And what I mean by that basic fact is I mean there was a mentally ill person who committed a horrific atrocity. And it drives me crazy that we can't just reach consensus on that and that alone. I don't want to politicize this. I really don't want to, you know. There's enough people willing to do that. Yesterday, Biden came down the stairs at the White House yesterday and told a couple of jokes about ice cream before he went in and commented on the tragedy without any of the facts at his disposal. We didn't know the shooter's name. We didn't know what kind of guns were used yet. But the president was sure to get out there and push his gun control legislation, was sure to get out there and push for an assault weapons ban. And the truth is you can have an opinion on gun control one way or the other. But in these moments, the fact that we rush out to weaponize them and use it as an opportunity to advance our own political agenda, I'm telling you, it's cheap, it's disgusting, and it's disrespectful to the victims. He knows what he's talking about. Not to mention their families. But here is the president. Now, I want you to understand. I'm going to contextualize this for you. Okay? This is the first moment the president of the United States has been put in front of a microphone after finding out that three children have been killed, three faculty members have been killed, and a transgender shooter with some form of mental illness was ultimately shot down 
by a group of heroic police officers. For real, this Bud's for you. That was textbook, textbook tactics. They went in, they neutralized the threat and killed the hell out of it. That's the job. I don't want you to go out and make a habit of watching body cam footage. I think it'll screw you up mentally and emotionally and everything in between. I'm not a big watcher of graphic content. But if you take two seconds to see the body cam footage from what went on in Nashville, it really does give you an entree into what is being asked of these people. You know, and and this absolutely overlaps with the military at a time when they're telling us the military needs to focus on climate change and gender pronouns. No, 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 no. The military needs to focus on the only job it has, which is to kill, which is to neutralize threats to this country, which is to be such a fierce fighting force that nobody wants to mess with us because heaven forbid they poke this bear. It's not going to end good for any of them. That's the military's job. It's the police's job, okay? The cops aren't there yesterday to worry about making sure they don't misgender a victim or misgender, in this case, a perp. Okay, the cops are there to neutralize the threat. They did a phenomenal job. This buds for you. Okay, Biden sounded like he had a few buds. These are the first remarks he made. Okay, the country has just learned that three kids are dead, three faculty members are dead, the shooter has been killed by police. Way to go, police. The president of the United States steps up to the microphone. Here it is. Clip three. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Garbage like you just makes me sick. Never mind. Seriously. That if you have a whole refrigerator full of ice cream, you probably have a whole kitchen floor filled with ice cream because it melted. I think he's got a point. You put ice cream in the freezer. I understand it's a slip of the tongue, but this is a <laughs> this is a slip of the election. This man has no business being in the Oval Office. He doesn't have like the couth. He doesn't have the mental wherewithal to realize that in that moment, the president of the United States. Okay, has no business jumping in front of a microphone and doing shtick. Okay, believe me, I'm a comedian. I tour, go on the road, I meet you guys. It's great. I'm guest hosting the highest rated late night show in the world next Monday. Okay, April 10th, whatever the night it is. It's exciting. It's a high honor, but believe me, it is. Um, But even I know that even though that is my job title, there are moments where I'm not supposed to do my job. Okay, I've been on live TV in very heavy situations where, yes, you offer some analysis, you offer some compassion for the moment you happen to be in, and you get the hell out of there. Joe Biden yesterday coming down the stairs and doing his folksy, you know, political stump speech shtick is very denigrating to the victims. But what comes next in my eyes is even worse. I understand you're giving a long speech. There's a room full of people. You want to win them over and put some good vibes into the room. But that wasn't the concern of this president because he immediately poisoned the well by going right in on political rhetoric. Here is Biden telling us, yeah, the shooting's bad. So we're done with the ice cream jokes. Here we go. Clip four. It's just uh, it's sick. You know, we're still gathering the facts of what happened and why. And we do know that as of now, there are a number of people who are not going to did not make it, including children. It's heartbreaking uh, 
a family's worst nightmare. I mean, it's absolutely positively a family's worst nightmare. And knowing he knew that, knowing he stepped to the microphone and opened with his ice cream bit, okay? This is the biggest schmuck I've ever met. Okay, again, we do know now the number of people are not going to make it, including children. It's heartbreaking. It's a family's worst nightmare. But the guy opened with ice cream jokes. I'm telling you that's disrespectful. I'm telling you that's wrong. I'm telling you that as a country, we've got to be better than that. Kids are getting killed. You're doing material, dude. No one wants to hear your tight five. You're auditioning for The Tonight Show. It's disgusting. I say that as a comedian, it's disgusting. And I'm aware that comedy is a coping mechanism. It's what I use to process hard news. This is a lighthearted show because I say it all the time. The world's on fire. Okay, it really is. And there are people like me who like to lean in and roast marshmallows as a way of taking the power away from the moment. But if that's truly your intent, I'd, be, I'd actually be okay with them doing it. But what comes next is all agenda politics. Here it is, clip five. We have to do more to stop gun violence. It's ripping our communities apart, ripping the soul of this nation, ripping at the very soul of the nation. And we, we have to do more to protect our schools so they aren't turned into prisons. You know, uh, the shooter in this situation reportedly had two assault weapons and a pistol, two AK-47. So I call on Congress again to pass my assault weapons ban. It's about time that we begin to make some more progress. You suck, you jackass. Really just infuriating. Okay, we, we can't turn the schools into a absolutely positively, first of all. Okay, kids having armed officers patrolling their schools is a lot less traumatic than what went on yesterday. I'm done with that argument. Okay, when it comes to the Second Amendment, here's the reality. People want to solve this problem. People genuinely want to solve this problem. The Democrats, nah, not really. They just had full control of Congress for two years. Did they push out any type of big box weapons ban when they had full control of Congress? The answer would be no. Uh Uh-uh. They want to run on the issue a lot more than they want to solve it. That's just reality. That's just politics, and you need to know that's the case. They could have did this under Obama when they had full control as well. I don't see you doing any better in the booty department. But again, they didn't. Didn't do it under Biden. They love to run on this issue. The truth is they know the Second Amendment is a very precarious political liability for they themselves. It's not just Republicans. It's Democrats because people want the right to self-defense. In an age like this where you do have homicidal lunatics, when we have an unchecked mental health problem plaguing our cities and, to be honest with you, all of our states, okay, when you have woke bail reforms that have created more sympathy for the criminal than the victim, yes, people want to arm themselves. No, you're not going to be able to talk them out of arming themselves. And the argument over what type of weapons they want to arm themselves with, here's a newsflash, guys. These weapons have been around in our society for about 70 years, longer than that. Okay, and we didn't have mass shootings. Something changed in this country, and it all has to do with mental illness. Okay, you can tell me political rhetoric, and we're going to get into political rhetoric, because a lot of Democrats who spent yesterday telling you Republicans are the problem spent the day before telling trans people they were under attack in this country, and Republicans were coming to kill them. Okay, do you know right now there is a... Day of trans vengeance scheduled for April 1st at the Supreme Court, a day of trans vengeance. Okay, where they were planning to show up and mobilize, says right on the flyer, wear a mask, bring a buddy. Doesn't say, hey, we're going to burn it all down to the ground, but a day of trans vengeance. 
decide to stop trans genocide. These are not people having an honest conversation. No one is out to kill trans people, but that's how the rhetoric has been repurposed. They say, well, Republicans don't want five-year-old kids chopping off their junk. They don't want them transitioning. They don't want five-year-olds making permanent life-altering decisions that will require lifelong surgeries and lifelong medical treatment. If we're going to go down that road, at least wait till your body's fully developed. You're an 18-year-old legal guardian of yourself, and you can make that decision. That's the Republican position. The Democratic response to that clearly articulated position is you want to kill trans people. Do you see where trans people might feel like they're under attack? Do you see where it might be a little hard to have a reasonable conversation with people when the starting point has been so bastardized for political opportunism? Which brings me to the shooters. The problem yesterday, are you ready for it? It's not the NRA. It was not the Republicans. It wasn't even the Democrats. It was the shooter. Correct the mundo. The shooter is mentally ill. How do I know the shooter was mentally ill? Are you ready for it? Because anyone capable of walking into a school and killing innocent children has a mental illness. There's no sane person doing this. Okay, you walk in, you kill three staff members, three children. You're not doing that because you're in a well-adjusted place mentally. You're doing that because you're somehow off the deep end, whether it was society's fault, whether it was your home you were raised in's fault. Okay, doesn't matter. The fact is, if you're capable of acting as sociopathically as this person was with the indifference to life and human suffering in the periphery, it's not just the people you're killing. It's the lives they impact. You're killing hundreds of people yesterday. You shoot six, you kill thousands. Okay, people will never be the same in the periphery of these lives lost because a mentally ill person acted on whatever the hell this happens to be, whatever the glitch is in this matrix that these people possess, it needs to be prioritized. We don't agree on guns. We just don't. We don't agree on trans rights. We just don't. We're not going to agree tomorrow because of one version's interpretation of what happened yesterday. We're not. It's not going to happen. So you prioritize mental illness. If we can't agree with that, we deserve more of this. And I'm not wishing more of this on us. Good God, no. But if we can't make that basic agreement, put our political differences aside, mental illness is not an advantage for one party or the other. It's an advantage for society as a whole. There was an old bank robber, okay, called Willie Sutton. He had a really famous line. They were like, why do you rob banks? And he was like, because that's where the money is. Okay, because that's where the, I go rob banks because that it was so much simpler. They thought there was this profound meaning. Like, do you get some kind of thrill? Is there some kind of wild vibe, power kick, smash and grab? No, the guy just wanted money and was willing to rob banks to get it. He wanted the money. Why are you supposed to prioritize mental illness in an instance like right now? Because that's where the shooter is each and every time. Bingo. Don't go anywhere. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. We'll be right back. All right, this one's for the fellas who want to tap the brakes on the aging process. How do you do that, Jimbo? We're talking about Nugenics Total T. Okay, every day that passes by is a day that you lose testosterone, which means less muscle, less energy, less get up and go in the bedroom. That doesn't sound any fun. But are you really ready to lose your shape, your muscle, maybe even in your energy? You don't have to. 
okay? You can slow it down with Nugenics Total Tea. Nugenics Total Tea, it'll boost free and total testosterone, and it'll help you get the old fire back at work, in the gym, in the bedroom. How about it? Nugenics Total Tea Testosterone Booster has Testafin, which will boost your testosterone. You know, the man hormone. How about more of that? You can try Nugenics Total Tea before you buy. There's nothing to lose, everything to gain. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword Jimmy. Text now. You'll get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, the newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you lose fat fast and get lean fast. It is absolutely free. Your complimentary sample available to you if you text 231-231 and enter keyword Jimmy. It's 231-231 and you enter the keyword Jimmy. Texting enrolls you in a recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. It is Fox Across America, your radio buddy, Jimmy Fallon. Not trying to politicize a tragedy, because there is a word for people who do that. Uh, They are called a-holes. Okay, people are grieving right now. They lost kids. It's a really disgusting moment in the world. And when folks just jump right in, you know, it cheapens all of that, and it doesn't make it any easier for us to reach some type of a consensus. I mean, think about right now the basic arguments. It's like everybody wants to go in on gun laws. Do you know how many gun laws there are that could have prevented this potentially? We don't know, okay, in this instance, if any of the 800 laws on the books were properly enforced or unenforced. We don't know that. We do know the person was mentally ill. We do know that if armed guards, armed officers like the ones we saw responding to the scene yesterday had been in place could have been an entirely different outcome. I want to believe, and this is my frustration, man. I want to believe we're capable of reaching an agreement that doesn't involve one side or the other getting a political win, but involves all of us getting progress on this issue. But it, it that, you know, when you cover politics every day, what happens is you realize there are a lot of people that benefit from the division. It's like, what did we talk about yesterday? CNN was talking about digital blackface. And they're like, ah, when white people share a meme of a black person, that's digital blackface. That's what they said. What would you do with a brain if you had one? It's a fair question to ask them. But the truth is it's not because they lack a brain. It's because they're using it for evil. When someone posts a meme, when a white person posts a meme of a black person being funny, they're saying, hey, this is funny. I agree with this person. This is awesome. It's universally renowned as awesome and funny. It's iconic. Ergo, I'm using this to comment on something. It is a sign of the highest level of acceptance. And they're trying to repurpose that acceptance as division. It's people with a dirty mind that think like that. Totally. And it's because they benefit from the division, which is why I get so frustrated in the aftermath of one of these shootings, because there are some basic common sense points we should agree on. These people are crazy. At a local level, let's go prioritize bolstering mental illness resources. Okay, these schools are clearly under attack. At a local level, let's go in and put some boots on the ground to help protect them. That's not a Republican point or a Democratic point. That's a, hey, let's look out for our freaking kids point, damn it. 
It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon trying to make sense of the senseless. We're going to bring in former NYPD inspector Paul Morrow shortly. He's going to give us the, the latest update from law enforcement down in Tennessee, where the Nashville police chief, Chief John Drake, spoke yesterday to reporters and said the student did initially, uh, the former student anyway, target other locations, ultimately came back to the school uh, because it was a soft target. Here's clip one. What we know is that she went to school at that school, and uh, there may may have been some resentment for whatever reasons, Um, and uh, so she uh, had targeted not only that school but other locations as well that she didn't get to carry out. Uh, And so she picked a school, um, and tragically, um, six people were killed. And, uh, you know, oh, man, I got to tell you, as a parent, I hate these stories are just the worst just the just such low points in our society because I do agree with the frustration of like how does this continue to go on in our country listen there is no short term fix you can't legislate away people's bad intentions these arguments are valid okay when people on the right say restricting access to certain weapons is an infringement on the rights of the law abiding citizens in this country that's just reality Okay, and any of these dumb arguments that Biden makes, like, oh, the deer don't wear Kevlar vest. The Second Amendment ain't about hunting, dude. Okay, the Second Amendment is about being able to defend yourself against a tyrannical government. It's there to make sure, as an armed populace, you don't have your rights and your freedoms trampled. And, you know, you can tell me, yeah, if you go up against the military, they're going to get you. Okay, I'm not advocating for that. Okay, but the reality is... Yes, if we squared off in a battlefield, you're not going to take your own military. We're aware of that. But the point is the potential to stand your ground is why these conflicts are ultimately avoided. You Now they have peace through strength. That's supposed to be our strategy on the world stage. Well, it's order and societal balance through gun rights. Okay, and when you look out at the need for self-defense in this moment where our leaders are failing to protect us, They're not fighting for stricter penalties on violent thugs right now. They're out there fighting in D.C. to pass a crime bill that'll let just about everybody out of jail. That's the woke mantra right now. Everything woke turns to Okay, but here it is. Again, you can't have a rational conversation when the starting point is irrational. So last week I was playing you clips on Friday of the Democrats reacting to the House Bill on Education. Okay, the House Bill on Education would be a nationalized version of what Ron DeSantis passed in Florida. I've read this bill on the air in in its entirety. Doesn't ban gay people, doesn't ban trans people. Okay, it bans all people from telling kids between the ages of kindergarten and third grade about sex. It bans them from teaching a kid who's five years old that they might be in the wrong body and it's time to get a lifetime supply of surgery and medications to screw up a perfectly fine developing young body that hasn't reached its full developed potential yet, ergo doesn't have permission under the law to make its own decisions. Do you understand? Kid is not old enough in the eyes of the law to go get a tattoo at the age of seven. There should be no debate over whether or not a kid should have the legal authority to remove his or her genitalia at the age of seven. Okay, but we are not having an honest conversation. That is described by the right as hatred. 
as transgenocide. They're out to get us. I'm going to play a Maxwell Frost clip because he weighed in yesterday. Of course he did. But this jackass was saying last week that, you know, this, this education bill, okay, like the don't say gay bill, which it's not called, doesn't ban gay, doesn't ever say the word gay. It's going to result in hatred and death at schools. This was him last week. And when you hear this clip, you'll understand why his clip from yesterday is so adamant and anti-Republican. He's trying to sweep this initial comment under the rugs. Clip 39. This bill is modeled after one that I know very well, uh, Florida's parental rights in the education law. Most of us know it as don't say gay. Yeah, because you're lying. Don't say gay infringes on parents' rights, including LGBTQ plus and supportive parents. Bills like this make schools more hostile and make no mistake. It results in hate, bigotry, and yes, sometimes death of our students in schools. You are so full of sh. Okay. Is anyone killing trans students at schools? The answer would be no. No, but seriously, can we even point to one where Ron DeSantis passed a bill and everybody was like, that's it, I'm going to kill trans people? The answer would be no. Nope. But an adult trans person age 28 who is clearly well-steeped in this Democratic narrative that Republicans are out to kill trans people, that's the starting point of the negotiation, thanks, walked into a school yesterday, a school that, oh, by the way, does have programs for LGBTQIA plus children, but walked in and shot up the school anyway, killed three innocent kids because this trans person, who's a lunatic, mentally ill, Okay, decided he or she or they or them is under attack in this country. Okay, so this was just this happened less than a week before a planned trans day of vengeance. It's scheduled for the steps of our Supreme Court on April the 1st, a trans day of vengeance. This is the narrative. This is how they're gaining political power is they're claiming they're oppressed. They're claiming this is a new civil rights movement. The trans people, it's time for vengeance. Republicans don't want drag queens reading to five-year-olds. Clearly, this is genocide. (laughs) Republicans are calling out for a five-year-old to fully develop before he commits his or her body to a lifetime of surgeries and medications. That must be some kind of hatred. Clearly, this isn't a reasoned attack. This isn't a reasoned critique that's just looking out for the well-being of children. Yo, the people looking out for the kids are being called the barbarians. The people who want the kids to generally mutilate themselves at the age of five want you to believe they're the good guys. Sell crazy someplace else. We're all stocked up here. But Maxwell Frost, who told you, yeah, they're killing trans people because of the DeSantis legislation. That was the claim. Is this a person capable of having a reasoned discussion? No. But still ran right to the nearest microphone yesterday to take it a step further. And say the GOP just doesn't give a damn about kids. It's clip seven. Mr. Speaker, I rise today because I am furious. Angry that three kids died today in Nashville, Tennessee. Angry that hundreds of parents had to cry their eyes out today, not knowing if their child would come home from school. And angry that we have to live day after day when we turn on the news to see rampant gun violence claiming life after life. And all of this is because politicians in this chamber Mm. that have been bought and paid for by the NRA that put profits over people, over human lives, cowards who wasted our time last week passing a parental bill of rights, not giving a damn about the rights of children to be able to go to their classroom without the fear of being gunned down due to senseless gun violence. 
I mean, come on. Shut up, fool! What an idiot. Seriously, though. That was absolutely dreadful. And he worked back in the parents' bill of rights again. Okay, you understand this is not a, you can't, how do you have this conversation? Republicans don't care if kids die. Oh, that seems reasonable. You know, the party that's pro-life, that's pushing for kids to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're the ones that don't like kids, that don't care if they live or die. Come on, don't bullshit. Dude, your party is pushing abortion up until the first report card at this point. It's absurd. Their support for late-term abortion, which is actual infanticide. We're talking months after a baby can live outside of the mother. Months. The Democrats are okay with killing it. But they want you to believe, oh, the Republicans don't care about the kids. No, you don't get it. Because the NRA, listen, the NRA is a real convenient target at a time like this. But... Was an NRA member inside that school firing yesterday? The answer would be no. Well, technically, maybe one of the cops was an NRA member, but the point is they were not the bad guys. Okay, this is such an intellectually lazy response to this problem every single time because it takes the responsibility away from the individual. A person did that yesterday. Okay, a person went in and took the lives of six other people before getting properly gunned down. Okay, but everybody who wants to tell you this about the Republicans, about the NRA, is giving a free pass to the killer. Okay, there's a mental illness aspect to this. And yes, I would make a good argument that we should be arming schools at this point. You want to tell me it's traumatic? These kids are doing active shooter drills anyway. You want to tell me it's traumatic? Maybe it is, but it isn't as traumatic as yesterday. And I'm out here in the real world, and I know what's right or wrong or bullshit. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon trying to make sense of the senseless down in Nashville. Joining us now, uh, retired NYPD inspector uh, turned TV matinee idol. He was all over the TV this morning. Paul Morrow is here. Hey, man. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Um, You know, to jump right in, um, you know, it's obviously just such an impossibly heavy subject. I thought you did a phenomenal job on Newsroom, so a tip of the cap there. Um, Thank you. Well, I wanted to tip the cap to law enforcement as a whole because to start here, there was some commendable tactics uh, from what we saw in that body cam footage, no? Yeah, there really was. Um, you know, I've only seen it the one time. I only saw it actually just before I went on the air there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I haven't done a really uh, minuscule uh, frame by frame. But yep. from everything I saw, the you know, good training mm-hmm. makes the person who is trained look almost casual or, yes. or not, you know, it's not it's dramatic. Great you can point. See control. Yes. Right. And so that's the thing. You can see that they're not all over the place. There's not a lot of wasted movements. And what I always try to, you know, to get people to see in, in a situation like this is imagine the reverse. Imagine you just took two people off the street, right? You and I, Jimmy, mm-hmm. you handed us a gun. We don't know each other. We have no training. And, uh, you know, I'm an accountant. Uh, you know, you're a stand-up comic. And uh, we, they just throw us into a situation like that, what it would look like. And think about how different it would be if you just take two people off the street and tell them to do what these two guys did. Yep. And that really should sort of uh, portray – the gulf between a trained person reacting and a non-trained person. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, when you said it looked casual, the body cam footage you're initially watching from the officer that pulls up in the car, Mm 
Uh, from the time he departs the car, the representative from the school identifies herself and points him in a direction to yeah. the time the threat has actually been neutralized. You really do feel like you're watching someone walk with the casual nature of like, I'm going down the hall to get a soda. And along the way, they just happen to take out this perp uh, who had to go. I got to tell you, I don't watch a lot of this footage because I don't, you know, I, I don't know that it's good for me. I, I, I yeah, process it. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But I was, I, I really, I actually on a perverse level enjoyed seeing the cops take this person out because anybody who is so sociopathically indifferent to the lives of kids, it's just addition by subtraction. Um, let me ask you this, though. When I heard the communication, because I heard things in one instance, they were breaching a hallway and he yelled yeah. rifle first. Is there a strategic lineup to how they go and sweep these classrooms and halls in terms of the type of weapon that goes first? Generally, the way this is done is that, um, you know, as I said in the air this morning, the protocol is that if you have two people there, and sometimes that's a luxury, but if you have the two people there, you're, um, you have a designated shooter and a designated comms person. Okay. All right? So I've been in this situation where, um, let's say, you know what, let's not make me the boss. I've mm-hmm. been there where the boss is there. It's me and another guy. We've got to take the door because the guy is beating up his wife behind the door. We know we've got to go through the door. We don't know if he has a weapon. Mm-hmm. The good sergeant will turn around and say, Morrow, you're my shooter. Mm-hmm. And he'll turn around to my partner and say, uh, Jones, you're my comms guy. Mm-hmm. And that way, what does that do? You know, you got the sergeant's got a gun. I'm the shooter. If it comes to it, hopefully it's not going to come to it. But then there's somebody designated to do the talking mm-hmm. so that they have communication going backwards to all the other units who are aware of a very heavy job going on mm-hmm. so that everybody just doesn't rush to the scene, guns out, and start shooting each other pell-mell out of confusion. So when I hear rifle first, what I'm hearing is my shooter is going first. Okay. And my, the backup. Now, don't get me wrong. The comms guy is still entirely capable, if the stuff hits the fan, of obviously going kinetic, as the saying is, which is going to his gun. Yeah. You always hope that it doesn't come to that. But it's just a way to control the gunfire at the scene. And this is what, I, again, it goes back to the training. you know, mm-hmm. And it goes back to a thing that's instilled in law enforcement and in the military, which is a respect for what a rifle can do or yeah. a firearm in general can do. And so you want it to be controlled. You see the way that these guys are going down that hallway. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like they wanted to put their best firepower forward because, you know, at that point it was a very confirmed job that they had an active shooter on site. Yes, it's heavy. Paul Morrow is on the line, retired NYPD inspector. Um, you know, these local cops, you know, clearly had a good understanding of the school. And, you know, they it's wild because the first guy who does the firing, like I said, it looks pretty casual. It looks like a, revi- a revolver fi- fires some additional shots and the shooter is gone. Um, when you watch something like this, this is purely speculative now. This is just me and you just voicing opinion. Um, does that make the case to you for wanting armed trained people on the site? Or are we concerned that it would provoke you know, too much trauma for the kids on a daily basis? Like, what do we do? I mean, I guess is what I'm trying to ask you. So I like what I said today. Um, I would advocate for getting retired or off-duty cops. Not 40 of them. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to turn them into a paramilitary zone. You don't want a heavy atmosphere where the kids go to work and feel like they go into a prison camp. Mm-hmm. But as we've seen in this instance, in fact, um, you know, she was apparently looking at a different target and decided that it was too hard a target. And yep. so we uh, decided to call an audible to this one. Yep. And 
it just does go this this prophylactic approach does work um mm-hmm. the harder the target the more likely somebody is to move along i mean you know i'm just going to confess to you we did everything we could when i was working kind of terrorism to make new york as difficult as possible mm-hmm. so that the terrorists would look at it and say you know what the heck get it heck with this we're going to go choose another city now i don't yeah. want them to choose another city in america mm-hmm. obviously or anywhere but you know what we just wanted to you know new york city was our remit we just wanted to throw a ring around it so I do advocate for that, Jimmy. I'd like to see off-duty cops, again, you know, as I said today, in the uh, sort of context of government spending. Yeah. These are not big expenses. I yeah. mean, what you know, what the teachers' union spends on ads, mm-hmm. you know, that we could manage to fund, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a cop at the front door, a cop at the back door. In this case, from what I see, there was a, a long driveway or one street going in to get into the place, mm-hmm. uh, a clapboard booth that yep. the car has to go through with a retired cop and you know these cops they want to be they they miss the mission i can tell yeah. you as a retired cop the thing you miss the people and all that everybody knows that but you miss the mission yes and the ability you know cops want to do this kind of stuff they want to give back the money's almost secondary so i think that you would get if you got that kind of a program going cross country you know if washington showed some vision and mm-hmm. said look we're going to put in some training for these guys so they can respond the way these two guys responded we're going to take off duty cops we're going to try to get a program where we get them into the schools in a very controlled way um i with the proper training and lawyered and all that other stuff i think you'd have the kind of program that would harden our schools and i think that's something that you'd like to see coming out of dc as opposed to the rhetoric about assault weapons, which is yeah. just uh, it's a know, it's a non-starter. Yeah, and it's a non-starter, exactly. and there's no progress to be had. No, I'm right with you. I mean, these are soft targets. We needed to harden them, and I think in 30 seconds or less, the other upside to all of this is let's be honest, we could pay most of these retired cops in beer, could we not? <laughs> we absolutely certainly this one. <laughs> uh, you know, about the cheapest date there is. Of course, I've never gotten so much as a beer out of you. But that's a different oh, Moro, getting a cheap shot at the buzzer. All right, you got a beer on me. We'll talk. Thanks. Great stuff right, as always, man. my man. We're back in the next hour with Emily Campagno on Fox Across America. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yes, it sure is. We are fired up. Big hour of Fox Across America with your radio buddy, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, one of my radio buddies, Emily Campagno. She's the co-host of Outnumbered, the host of the Fox True Crime Podcast. She is going to stop by into this hour to help me make sense of what's going on in this country right now. It's a mess. Okay, 888-788-9910 if you want to help us clean it up. But either way, however you roll, all are welcome. This is not a activism event. This is a talk show. Do you remember good old-fashioned talk shows where you just, you know, here's what I think. Here's what I think. You're wrong. You're right. Whatever. Remember that? God, I grew up around that. I loved it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. So I didn't follow politics as a kid, but at every, like, family function, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever, you know, once we would— finish (laughs) our hazing ritual of a meal because my family is, you know, disgusting. People come to dinner at my house. They look around at how much food we have and they're like, this is absolutely gross. Maybe so. But the minute it hits the table, we're (laughs) I come from one of those families that could really only express their affection through massive quantities of food. But at every holiday I could remember growing up, the minute we were done pigging out and eating within an inch of our lives, 
You know when you're actually so full, like you're disgusted with yourself, like you're actually calling yourself names? Like, I can't believe you had another cannoli, you fat What is wrong with you? And five minutes later, you burp and you eat another cannoli. That boy is a P-I-G pig. <laughs> I mean, that's what I grew up around. It's a lot of passion. Okay, but at the end of those meals, people would sit around the table and they'd talk about politics. And it was funny. They didn't always agree. They didn't come close to agreeing. In my house, there were some liberals or some conservatives when I was growing up. Uh, my immediate family were all cops, like right-wing people, big Reagan Republicans. Uh, but, you know, some liberals out there in the family, and we coexisted. We, you know, I hear you, but I think this. Or you're wrong. I think that. We don't really do a lot of that anymore. What politics has become now is it's lazy. Nobody wants to have a conversation. When they say America needs to have a conversation, what they're basically saying is this is why the other side should see it my way. That's true. That is true. That's all they mean by America should have a conversation. Because when the conversation starts, it immediately devolves into an exercise in misrepresenting the other side's point. You know, I played some of this earlier in the day. You know, the Democrats rushing in and bashing the Republicans. And what happened in Nashville? You know, it only happened because the Republicans and the NRA and... You can't handle the truth! It's not why it happened. It's a mentally ill person. And you want to know something really quick? The only immediate fix, the only immediate fix, something we could implement tomorrow, is what my guest in the last hour was advocating for, which was a hardening of these targets. Paul Morrow was talking about getting ex-cops, retired cops, ex-military, and hiring them to actually police these schools. Not talking about a paramilitary unit where the kids go to school surrounded by 80 armed long guns, but you are talking about two or three guys that can communicate and secure certain perimeters that can be mindful of who's coming and who's going, and can be armed as a deterrent to anyone like that gutless coward yesterday who showed up and got mowed down. <laughs> Not cheering for the carnage, but the ca- the cops, if you go watch that body cam footage, man, this buds for you. Addition by subtraction. Okay, we ha- we got to be past the point of concerning ourselves with empathy for the killers. Oh, society fail. This, yo, they killed children. That's it. They're done. Anybody, you know in a zombie movie, you're watching a zombie movie and two people are best friends and then they turn and they see their best friend's eyes are yellow now and they're like, oh my God, they're one of the zombies. There's not a second left for sentiment. You have to kill the zombie immediately or it's about to tear you to shreds. Okay, well, that's where we are with school killers. The minute you are capable of taking the life of an innocent child, you are beyond our empathy. You are beyond our consideration. We should be able to go back after the fact and say, hey, what led up to this? What could we do a better job of? How could we be filling in cracks? But the idea that we had massive publications yesterday, like the New York Times and the USA Today, talking about getting the genders the shooter's gender right? Not even close! Just not a top 5,000 priority. No, shouldn't be there. It's ridiculous. We just want to correct the record. The person was identified as a she, but she's actually transgender, so she's a he. That was embarrassing! Come on, media. Have some self-respect. It's just not a priority. And we can't make... It's just not... 
This is not me being anti-trans. Be whatever the hell you want. You're 18. You're an adult. Be whatever the hell you want. Anything. Who cares? It's America. It's the whole point of being here. Free-range chickens. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. But what's been going on on the left is they have convinced trans people that they're under attack and the people on the right want to kill them. That's the starting point in the negotiation. It's not true. Nobody on the right cares. Go be whatever you want. Just do it as an adult. Don't force it on the kids. That's not genocide. That's not hatred. That's not the argument put being put forth here. That's what they are trying to repackage it as so they can leverage that fake oppression for political gain. Democrats are so full of crap. Straight up. Okay, but understand what they're trying to do on the left is they're trying to reconfigure 100 percent of society to accommodate 0.5 percent of the people. And they're characterizing anybody, anybody who has reservations about overhauling the entirety of society for something we didn't even acknowledge as a thing five years ago is somehow bigoted and hateful when that's not the conversation being had. But if you wanted to talk about an immediate fix, an immediate fix for how you stop this immediately, you secure the schools. Right now, they're soft targets. You secure the schools. Okay, that's what you do immediately. Is mental health the overarching, overlapping issue in every one of these killings? Absolutely. So we have to bolster our resources for mental health immediately. But it won't pay us a dividend immediately. The crazy people are out there. The crazy people are going to act. The criminals are going to break the law. So you can yell and scream at me about gun laws, but they're not the deterrent you think they are because only the decent among us follow those laws. And the idea that every time someone breaks the law becomes a license to slander the millions and millions of good law-abiding firearms owners out there, it's disgusting, and it's why this conversation is such a non-starter. When you express such a visceral disdain for lawful gun owners, it doesn't make them more open to the idea of giving up their guns. Okay, when you're out there in society saying these people are a scourge and they're white supremacists and literally Hitler, uh, they don't really trust you with their safety. They don't really trust a government that's weaponized its Department of Justice against their political ideology to be the only ones armed in this conversation. The gun thing is a non-starter. It's a non-starter. If you want to help the kids immediately, I'm talking tomorrow. We could be arming school guards. I'm not saying you arm the whole school. I'm not saying you turn it into a flat-out fortress. But the fact that these shooters, these cowards, are choosing schools because they're soft targets is why this continues to happen. You know what we haven't had happen yet? We had a glorious video of that shooter getting gunned down yesterday. But we still don't have that video. We don't have enough of these videos of these shooters getting gunned down before the fact. Okay, every time you see one of these heinous acts committed, okay, oftentimes you hear the shooter kill themselves. Oftentimes you hear the cops kill the shooter. You do hear that. Okay, but they still, in this weird, perverse way, incentivize this type of thing because these losers who are completely devoid of any value for human life are acting out for this attention. You know, they become 48 to 72-hour celebrities in some cases. If they kill enough people, they become household names for years to come. And it's disgusting 
but they're very mindful of the carnage they're causing and how it stacks up against other deranged killers. So it's time to stop focusing on the people who aren't doing the killing, and it's time to start focusing on the people who are. Okay, what argument is there rationally to not be fortifying schools at this point? Every Democrat gets in front of a microphone and goes, "This is, it keeps happening, it keeps happening, it keeps happening. Exactly. So why not make sure the next time it happens, this person comes face to face with something who's far more trained with a firearm than they are? I think he's got a point. Do you see the way those cops walked into that school and that body cam footage? As Paul Morrow was saying, it's, it's you know, it almost, it looks casual because when you have good training and you just go in and buy the book, buy the book, buy the book, it's not flailing. There's not a lot of motion. There's not a lot of wasted movement. It's very coordinated and targeted and they neutralize the threat. You know, one of the reason people watch stand-up comedy and think they can be comedians is because good comedy looks really effortless on stage because it's somebody who has started it at a time when it didn't look effortless and took the beating on stage to the point that they became polished enough that it just looked like they were having an extemporaneous conversation with you in the audience. That's the same training, okay, obviously on a far more violent and lethal level that cops have, something that would be to you or me and exercise and flailing and insanity and what do we do and sloppy looks casual coming off of them. And that's the point. 99 times out of 100, these lunatics going into these schools where nobody's armed don't have training. They just have firepower. Okay, but if they're met with the face of actual training, it ain't going to work out well for them. So this idea you want to make arguments about protecting the kids? Okay, let's say everyone in Congress, uh, you know, agrees on a gun law. It's going to take away these guns. Never mind that when there was an assault rifle ban, Columbine happened when that ban was in place. Mass shootings happened. But just assume that was the case. So we're going to go out and do this. You know how long that's going to take to actually pass this legislation, get it into law? Months. Okay. The amount of guns on the street isn't going to change. The criminals, earth to anyone listening here reasonably, don't respect the law. Murder's already illegal. They're going to break gun laws if they're breaking murder laws. It's not about the law. The law only penalizes the good guy. It doesn't penalize the bad guy or discourage them. If someone is willing to die to achieve their objective, it is almost impossible to stop them. You know, but if you want to make it harder, which is always the argument, yes, we should absolutely positively be fortifying these schools. That's what I would say. Martin is in the Lake of the Ozarks. He knows stuff. Yo, Martin. Jimmy, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. A minute, but yeah. good talking with you again. Yeah, for sure. I'm just uh, really disappointed it's over the subject matter that it is. Yeah, it sucks. It what just, you've been talking about. It sucks. Um, but as far as, like, being, like, forward thinking with regard to coming up with solutions for the problem, the biggest, most impactful uh, thing a person can do in this situation the things you talked about, putting officers in classrooms or at least in schools and detain the issue before it even presents itself within the building, those all come down to a nuts and bolts aspect about your school board elections. Your school board is going to have to pass any sort of motion in yeah. order for that to play out. Mm-hmm. And they won't. And I find it really frustrating. My my uh, my mother-in-law, who's actually running for school board this year is like, hey, will you call the radio station? How do you get more people to vote? <laughs> people vote because they're informed. That's why people vote. But the the big takeaway here mm-hmm. is that 
for whatever reason, are school board elections that can impact the community most significantly. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, we have those in the first Tuesday in April yep. when voters turnout is like minimal at best. Yep. Why do we even do that to ourselves? I know. Is it because the other side wants to put it in a position where they can push across agendas that they want to control? All I seem to see from the left side, I'm trying not to be a one of the eh, that you are yeah. always refer to on, on the I, radio. But, I get it. But it seems like the left side wants money, power, and they're greedy all the time. Yeah. And they'll do whatever it takes to keep whatever it is they have, even if it's a small morsel of that power to create what they have and keep it. Well, I would as just tell you this. As yeah, far go as ahead. the gun control goes, mm-hmm. that's a moot point. Nobody's going to get on board with that. But mm-hmm. as far as making a difference, actually putting people in the school, you need to vote people into your school boards who are like-minded with making sure soft targets like our schools, like yep. you said, they cannot stand any longer. Yep. And and you said that person's mentally ill. You're not off point, but that person's not mentally ill enough to know that they were going to go there yep. and it was going to be the easiest target for yep. them. So some of that is I'm with it enough to know that I'm not going to get blown away before I get to try to get away with what I'm doing. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's, you're right that there is this, there's a seniency to these people in that they are picking targets based on, you know, the, you know, the probability of achieving their goal. But the point right. is, you know, everyone who argues for gun control is like, well, I understand they don't respect the law, but wouldn't you want to make it harder? At, fine. OK, if you want to make it harder, put somebody with real tactical training on the other side of that school door, because right I, now I they're competing against nobody. Yeah. The, the big the biggest thing you could do. Forget the school. The biggest thing you could do in Texas, mm-hmm. you get that Uvalde happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and how the school head of that school's mm-hmm. security system, whatever it was, the guy who's like, we're going to stay back. How that guy had that position, I will never understand. Yeah, it was and frustrating. Guys yesterday had, like, real-life training for that situation, but they had enough of it to know exactly what to do and how to respond. Yeah, they got it done. Yeah, definitely a tip of the hat for them. Tip of the hat for you, and good luck to your mom on the school board. I'm going to lose you to a commercial, but great stuff as always, Martin. We're back after this. It's America's number one radio lunch date. Get your hands out of my fries. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Buy your own damn fries. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. We're going to have Emily Campagno coming by in the next break. She's the co-host of Outnumbered, a legal mastermind. Of course, the host of the Fox News True Crime Podcast. Uh, Right now, we're dealing with a real heavy one down in Nashville. Here is Tom Cotton uh, talking to the great Brett Baer last night on Special Report. And he was just talking about the Democratic rush to politicize the shooting. It's clip 10. It's very disappointing to hear the president, uh, as we're still learning about what happened in this shooting, um, come out and once again politicize an act of murder, calling for an assault weapons ban and taking firearms away from um, law-abiding citizens. But unfortunately, the, pattern, the president's common pattern to politicize these shootings right in the aftermath of them. And basically what he's saying to Joe Biden is... Somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. I don't know. We're not really calling for violence. We're just trying to, you know, take the edge off because it's just such a heavy day. And the truth is, you know, 
when we think in terms of solutions, man, because that's what you want to do. You want to stop this sort of thing from happening. You know, a lot of my thoughts gravitate towards hardening the target. Uh, I'm going to invite all of you to weigh in uh, perhaps later in the show today. Uh, in between guests, certainly by tomorrow as we know more about this. I just really didn't want today to become a day where one party's mad at the other or vice versa. But it's sadly, that's just the world we're living in now. We're so divided, and we're not going to agree on gun control. We're not. It's just reality. We should be able to agree that these people have some level of mental illness, and we should be able to agree that the kids deserve the best level of self-defense we can provide them with, So for my money, that would be the quickest short-term answer to this whole thing, which is fortify the schools. I'm not an expert. Uh, Emily Campagno is. We'll get into this with her and some positive stuff as well because it's a real rough day, man. She'll come by the human happy hour. Boost your spirits. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon trying to hold this country together. Big mess out there, but if anybody can clean it up, it is the Human Happy Hour. Co-host of Outnumbered, host of the Fox News True Crime Podcast. Emily Campagna is here and the crowd goes wild. Hey, girl. Hey. Great to see you. Great to be seen. We actually needed your energy. We're having like a little bit of a drag of a show today. I mean, oh, it's e- you know, it's easy. Just having, it's a heavy news day, so it's always good to have. You know, like Marilyn Monroe used to visit the troops and cheer them up overseas? That's kind of you, but not, I wouldn't say you're Marilyn Monroe. You're more like a Marilyn Manson. <laughs> In my life. No, I was like, wait for it. What about Monroe? Maybe towards the end when she bottomed out. More like two of Marilyn Monroe's. <laughs> hey! Anyway. Good well, to see you, Human Happy Hour. Great to be seen. How about it? Um, I wanted to start with something positive. Uh, the last time I hung out with you, you told me this wonderful story about how Conor McGregor is such a great guy. Dude! Let's yes. go. Tell it, The audience needs to know this stuff. Because there's also a part two that occurred last night when okay. I got home at like midnight. All well, right, this everyone. is my reminder that there's a lot of good in the world. And this is why you have Emily on. Go ahead. There's good... In the world, every day, all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so Conor McGregor came and did the Hannity show. Mm-hmm. And while he was on Hannity show, he donated an incredible amount of money to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, to Frank Siller. Because, as we know, for every sale of his proper 12, his whiskey, a portion of those proceeds goes to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. So we know that he's an incredible generous individual with his income right yes. just by by virtue of all of that mm-hmm. so that night um his the the he's been called the celebrity spirit whisperer ken austin mm-hmm. who launched the label with conor mcgregor who has the tequila label with the rock and and more he's an incredible man um he and i exchange information because we had photos taken and whatever he says Hey, let me send you some proper 12 stuff, some swag. I mean, it's incredible. He doesn't have to do that. I'm like, yeah, yeah it'd be an honor. I'll pass it all out to everyone here, et yeah, cetera. Yeah. So later, um, a New Jersey state trooper, the founder of the Troopers United Foundation, Chris Polino, reached out and said, hey, is Connor still in the building? Is it possible maybe for him to just autograph something small? He said, we lost a trooper in the line of duty. Uh, with the last name of Cullen, who was born in Ireland. Conor McGregor was his number one hero. He loved him. He had just seen him fight. He named his his sons Conor and Seamus. Mm -hmm. And I said, buddy, I just posted this late. Like, he was actually in the building a couple days ago. Let me reach out to Ken Austin. Let's see. And and Mm -hmm. crossing my fingers. Two minutes later, the notorious Conor McGregor sent a selfie video that he took while he was in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Savannah, Georgia, from the, the like head SUV <laughs> car, saying, hey, Conor and Seamus, 
God bless you. God bless your father in heaven. He's looking down on you. He's so proud of you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Sending love. Wow. All of that. Then he said something special to come. So he's sending two things for those boys mm-hmm. of that, that officer that was killed in action there for the New Jersey State Troopers. And then I come home last night to the most insane spread of proper 12 and hats and shirts and sweatshirts <laughs> because people like Conor McGregor, it doesn't matter how much money you make. People like Ken Austin, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's all about blessing others and showing up for others in the little ways and the big ways. And for someone of that celebrity status, you know, again, the, the money uh-huh. in and of itself is incredible. Yeah. But in that moment, that was all about him in that parade to say, Press the brakes for a second. Yeah. Let me show up for this family uh-huh. that showed up for this country. It, it just It's incredible to oh, me. My amazing. hat goes off to him. A, a force multiplier of his own prosperity. That's the coolest thing about yes. you know having that level of reach. The only part of the story I didn't agree with is you having a case of whiskey. <laughs> Does he not know anything about like? Then I guess I'll take it out of my purse and not give it to you, which like, was my plan. No, while you were talking, I just texted somebody to go uptown <laughs> and confiscate it. You can't have more whiskey. I'm sending him some wine from my dad's, but it wasn't a quid pro quo. I mean, this was the guy no, that was like, yo, this is for everyone, and it's it's spreading the generosity. I know I little it. does he know, I, I drink that. I drink two bottles in my coffee before breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Campagno is in studio, and uh, we're trying to point to some goodness in the world because there is. There's so much of it out there, and it's unfortunate because the news cycle, obviously, prioritizes chaos and carnage and everything in between. But I think one of the things we're grateful for, you and me, um, is having the career success that we have has allowed us to engage more regular people, meaning in our old previous walks of like we were always the type of people I'd want to be. I have a genuine intellectual curiosity. When I meet people at shows, I want to know about them. I want to know about their lives. I return all my messages on Facebook and Twitter and everything in between. Well, not all those messages. You know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Some of you have been put on the timeout step, and rightfully so, I might add. But we're not going to go down that road right now. Let's stay focused. But I think one of the coolest things in the world about being more well-known is to actually interact with people who are not as well-known and to remind them that they matter because they do. Because all you realize when you get to wherever you think you want to be in your career is that the whole point from there to here was to just have fun and enjoy the basic things everyone has access to. Music, food, booze to some extent, if you like sports, whatever the hell you're into, that's all you're supposed to be doing. And I think I'm not lying to them, Emily, when I say that you and me are basically everyone listening but with a hair and makeup team. 100%. 100%. And like a, a hard-working hair and makeup team. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say. <laughs> I, walk, I walk into that chair speaking of liquor, and I see them like open up a flask and take a long pull. There we go. This one again. Yeah. No one earns their paycheck like the glam squad for you and I. You're absolutely right. The bottom line is we are exactly who we were five years ago and ten years ago, but just with the honor of a platform, thank you to Fox News. Yep. And I see myself thus as a conduit. I'm, I see myself as a connector. Mm-hmm. And because I've had the honor of getting to where I am and then sitting in this position. So my primary role, you know, we, we say all the time, show up, you play good ball. My primary role I see um, in terms of my duty, uh, you know, to this network, it's, it's toasting outnumbered every day at 12 and doing the best I can every day. My duty as a human, mm-hmm. my duty as, as a colleague, as a just another person among us as part of this community on earth is to show up for others. And I couldn't imagine sitting where we're sitting and not using it for the purpose of blessing others in that way. Mm-hmm. And and I see that what I mean by that specifically is I mean highlighting and amplifying the good works of the angels among us. Because God knows I'm not doing it, <laughs> but I want them to do it. I want people to know 
that they're doing it. Yep. That's the point. It's it's connecting, you know, needs with voices. It's connecting causes with donors. It's connecting. The- isn't, it, isn't it funny? I just want to interrupt that we are who we are. We have I have the accent that I do, but we're actually just like hippies. Like when you boil it all down, we're I did actually grow up just in like, Berkeley. I know you did grow up in Berkeley for that matter. We're actually just like well-intended hippies. I'm just a hippie with a mook accent. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, just, you know, spread some joy in the world, bro. You know, that's just what take- it's all about. But it is. That's all it really is. That's all it really is. Emily Campagna is in studio. Uh, what's on the podcast this week? We need to know. Well, it's a, it's a really um, intense episode today. With former FBI agent retired Jeff Reineck, and he was the one who was the lead, original lead investigator of the Yosemite murders, and he's the one that eventually extracted the confession um, from Carrie Stainer. Okay. Carrie Stainer, as you remember, not only was a um, horrible, brutal serial killer that year, but he was also the brother mm-hmm. of Steven Stainer. Do you remember that 80s movie? Yep. I know. So um, he had a really, it's a complex, interwoven story, but in light of what we're talking about today, which is stories of hope and messaging, the, mm-hmm. the really fascinating part of Jeff's stories is not only um, just the amount of you know, blood, sweat, and tears that he left behind as he pursued all of these crimes against children, but the toll that it takes on law enforcement. So I think as you know, we watched the body cam footage of the incredible heroes in Nashville, Engelbert mm-hmm. and Colazzo, and everyone that, that runs toward the the source mm-hmm. of the violence and the source of the mayhem as most of us run away, it takes a toll on them too. Mm-hmm. And it's important to have resources and a listening ear to what these amazing men and women of law enforcement are going through because yeah. they're not they're not infallible. No, as but when well, you right? when you watch body cam footage though, this is the point I made earlier, is it's also a reminder of the type of job they're being asked to do. You know what I'm saying? And the fact that we have tried to kind of corporatize the military and corporatize law enforcement and get them, you know, to communicate in boardroom terminology with the same etiquette that we use at jobs that are a lot more sanitized than live fire, live ammo. You know, it gives me a healthier respect for I mean, not that I even needed one, but I think I want to believe it would give everybody else a healthier understanding of what it is we're tasking our people in uniform with doing. And it's one of those days where you realize you know, we should be supporting them with everything we have, okay, with everything we have, because who else is going to do that job? You know what I'm saying? And we need to be looking out for those people. That's the point I come back to. Let's just do some quick opinion journalism. What, um, we don't have facts or data on this. This is just me and you talking like buddies in a bar, and there's no beer in the studio as far as everyone knows. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Dang. <laughs> I know. You're like, why else do you think I showed yeah. up? What do you mean there's no Guinness? <laughs> what am I doing here then? Would you would you harden schools? Could we just debate this for three minutes? I don't have an answer. I, but my take in talking to a lot of NYPD people today is that it might really benefit us. As, as traumatic as it sounds to have two or three armed guards at a school, first of all, we already have armed guards here in New York City. But would you want to harden schools around the country and not make them a soft target? I'm I'm for that absolutely, and you know I I did have that in my schools growing up. You did up. right because you, know, you grew up to, in the bay. Yeah, I uh-huh. went to public schools my entire existence uh-huh. uh, before graduate school in a very urban environment. So I I had uniformed police officers at my school every mm-hmm. day. You so, did, yeah. To mm-hmm. me, it was it was a sign of it was reassurance. It was it was everything positive for me. I understand mm-hmm. that that's coming from my particular perspective. Yeah. Um, but I loved it, and it also 
like we were we were all friends with the officers, right? Yeah. So at a young age, it was establishing this community and this rapport that I felt with law enforcement. There was as a well. relationship there, exactly, which also made people more inclined, probably, to cooperate with law enforcement if, in fact, that was the need. That's yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, in the constellation of needs that I see for schools, you know, when you talk, let's take this Nashville shooting. I mean, the, the response time um, was 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 fast, and then immediate engagement, and then immediate takedown. But the whole point was that you take out the commute time. Yeah. And I also think that one of the biggest benefits of it is deterrence. Yeah. Because as we know, the shooter said, "I, I didn't do this other school, or I was mm-hmm. going to this other school. There's too much security." Yeah. So deterrence. It's the same thing. If you just have a sign on the door that says "Beware of Doberman," yep. You don't even have to have a Doberman behind it's that true. fence. If you have a uniformed guard, if you had anything in the beam, there's that that deterrence factor is really crucial in my uh, humble opinion. That's a great point. We're talking to Emily Campagno. And and to build on that, what I'm basically trying to say is we know so many people who put on the uniform. These are badass people. These are badass people that someone who doesn't have their tactical training is going to show up at that school and have a real problem. And they're not going to be able to perpetrate something like what we saw yesterday, which is why I think it's the strongest argument in favor of fortifying schools and hardening the targets. It could potentially be traumatic to kids, but kids right now, I mean, my kid is in high school. They have active shooter drills. That's pretty traumatic. Okay, and they have active shooter drills knowing there's not three or four armed guys somewhere on the perimeter to protect them. So for my money, it's like if we're going to expose them to one, the least we could do is kind of fortify their experience, knowing there is somebody like what you grew up around in a uniform or not in a uniform that has the wherewithal to try and neutralize one of these threats. Because like you said, getting rid of that commute time would be huge. Um, Go ahead. And marrying, I think, as well, a lot of the veteran population. There are some, Guys want the mission too. Yeah, that, and I think there's volunteer opportunities. There's a whole there's a whole conversation to be had, but there's a whole opportunity uh-huh. to be seized with potential with with those men and women who have tactical training, active shooter training, uh-huh. um, and all of that that can employ that mm-hmm. as resources for for these schools because. I mean, yeah. no school should have to go through no, it. No, shouldn't have to I go just... through it. It's a, it breaks your heart. It's a, it's a hard story to continuously cover. Yeah. But what I realize is that if we're looking for an immediate response, like if the response is legislation, guns, you could argue over guns forever. It's a non-starter. We're not passing it anytime soon. But the bigger argument is even if you did, okay, it does nothing tomorrow. It does nothing a month from now. It does nothing two months from now. We don't know. We have no way of quantifying. We do have a way of quantifying whether or not hardening these targets would make the job tougher on the shooter. You know, and that's where I am in support of that. Um, but one that one thing then, to end on a lighter note, okay, because we've celebrated so many humans in uniform. We also recently had, and we don't have to name the dog, but we had a phenomenal experience with a dog who served this country in uniform, where you and I were at a steakhouse. I've told this story off the air, but it's worth telling. Emily and I were at a steakhouse, and some friends had a very decorated service dog with them. And the most decorated service dog in American history. Okay, thank you. So just to be clear, all right, we're, gi- we're giving you data here. We're giving you real data points. So this is the most decorated service dog in the history of this country. This dog's a big deal. Does the dog have a name? Or Working do- canine. Yeah, it's Canine Hurricane. Canine Hurricane. Canine Hurricane and his handler, former retired or retired Secret Service agent, Marshall Miraki. This uh, is Canine's so, Hurricane's heroes. So shout out to them. They're both heroes. We happened to go out to a steak dinner, and this heroic dog was all kinds of training is very respectfully just seated under the table at the steakhouse while we're all having this tremendous steak dinner and talking and hearing tales of things in the field and everything. Unbeknownst to us, the dog did a dog thing and crawled away from under the table without any of us knowing. And a maitre d' from the restaurant came up to the table like, excuse me, this is weird, but do any of you guys have a dog with you? (laughs) Like, oh, my God.
<laughs> and Hurricane had wandered off in search of greener pastures, and I believe it was the hope of the dog to make it back to our table undetected <laughs> with, like, a couple of porterhouses in his stomach. And I love the story so much because it's like a dog that has, like, saved human life. It has fought terrorists, but dogs are going to dog. Like when nobody's looking, he just he was just a dog, man. <laughs> Yo, leave you unattended and you would go searching for a porterhouse. Are you kidding? He did what Jimmy Fallon would do. Hey, where's Jimmy? Oh, you went in search of a steak. Sorry, do you any of you guys have a radio host? <laughs> that was a little awkward. I mean, yeah, we caught Hurricane essentially at the next table with a knife and fork, like calmly eating his porterhouse. Good boy, Hurricane. Good boy. You know those we old would pi- do the same. Yeah, those old pictures where the dogs are playing poker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the dog. He was sitting at the table with, with a bib on. on. Yeah, a little glass of Merlot. It was epic. I was just with him this weekend. Actually, yesterday we had with a hilarious encounter. It was, again, the most decorated service, you know, working canine in American history, eating a little puppuccino (laughs) and then (laughs) crawling at the dog next to him. We got it on video. It's hysterical. But he (laughs) that dog is a hero through and through. Thank you. Um, If you're yeah, if you're if you're in a uniform, two legs, four legs, we support you. Okay. We support any legs. Okay, we need you. Yes, and we all owe you a steak. Uh, Great stuff. Uh, You lived up to the billing, the human happy hour. There she goes. We're back after this. The critics have spoken. Well, that was different. Yep, lousy, but different. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, girl. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. We're going to be wrapping with Brian Brenberg in the next hour. We just showed Emily Campagno the door after another spirited appearance on the show. Uh, get her out. Get her out of here. Now, she actually left on good terms for once. Usually it gets a little chippy between her and I. But I think Emily made the best point I've heard all day, which is if you put cops at the schools, as many kids here in the city already have, as many kids in the Bay Area where she grew up already have, then you have the idea that the commute has been eliminated. If, in fact, there's some type of an active threat to the school, you've already got people on site as opposed to people that are driving there as quickly as possible. And, you know, I know this is heavy stuff where people say, you know, I heard a commenter say yesterday, well, no, we can't have kids in this going to school in like this military environment. Well, sadly, some of these kids are going to school in this military environment, but they don't have a military there to defend them. They have a military there to attack them. You know, we're not living in the, in the world, you know, a lot of us seem to think we are. We don't have this luxury. It's like when you hear me talk to you about drugs, we're not living in an era where you can do recreational drugs anymore. People are doing drugs once and dying. And we're doing them a disservice by saying it's an overdose because an overdose carries a connotation with older Americans that someone did so many drugs that eventually caught up to them. They took too many that night. no. Because of the fentanyl that's coming across our border, mixed in China, imported by the Mexican drug cartels, people are trying drugs for the first time and dying. I tell you, it's the one issue I come back to a lot on the show. When you hear my son on the show, you'll hear him be like, he never shuts up about drugs because he can't. We're not living in that era where you're allowed to take your eye off the ball. But sadly, you know, when it comes to something like school shootings, In a lot of ways, we are keeping our eye off the ball because we're arguing over big box legislation that doesn't offer us an immediate fix. You know, yes, we're underfunding mental illness and we need to do better. Absolutely. I think that should be the biggest priority. But in the short term, it would help if our kids had somebody that could fight back on their behalf is what I'm trying to say to everybody out there. I'm sick and tired of all this bullshit. For real. 
Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Here we go, here we go. Big hour coming up. Fox Across America with your radio buddy Jimmy Fallon. We're going to bring by Brian Brenberg, who is an econ professor at the King's College, also the co-host of the Big Money Show on Fox Business. He is going to react to claims from the White House that Joe Biden's class war against the rich is going to pay for tax cuts for the middle class. That is a fact check false. Every single economist has already weighed in to say none of this inflation reduction garbage is actually going to lower inflation. And none of these pie in the sky climate prophecies are going to do anything but help the people that are already selling this agenda. Money, 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 money. That's what it is. The guys like John Kerry get rich. The people like you and me get poor. Or if we don't get poor, we at least learn to cook with a different type of stove because that's such a crazy clip I'm going to play you in this hour about the war on stoves, which we were told, oh, this is a right-wing Republican thing is what? (laughs) This is going to be a crazy hour. Buckle up. Uh, We are, of course, monitoring the aftermath of this horrific shooting down in Nashville. We've devoted two hours to it on the air today. Uh, Paul Morrow, former NYPD inspector, came by and updated us on the latest from the police chief's briefing to the press. Uh, we talked about it at some length with Emily Campagno. In the aftermath of events like today, I try to give the victims and their families the space they deserve, the dignity to have this moment of grief and to not get clubbed over the head with our politics because no one is having a sane and rational discussion. These moments always descend into rapid demonization. That's what happened yesterday. We had the shooting down in Nashville before we even knew who did it or what kind of weapon they used. Okay, the Democrats were out on TV saying, it's the right wing. It's the NRA. Here it is. Here's uh, Representative Tim Burchette from Tennessee, from Tennessee, down in his area. Here he is talking about it, clip nine. It is horrendous. I lived in Nashville. I was in the state legislature for 16 years. It's just a horrible situation. And I resent the fact that folks are politicizing it on both sides. You know, there's folks that's transgender thing, and then the other side is... You know, we don't need any more guns. We need to take their guns. You know, people, three precious little kids lost their lives. Criminals are going to be criminals. And my daddy fought in the Second World War, fought in the Pacific, fought the Japanese. And he told me, he said, buddy, he said, if somebody wants to take you out and doesn't mind losing their life, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it. And we've got a mental health issue in this country, and we need to start addressing it. That is correct. We do need to start addressing it. It's hard because you really don't want to sit here and politicize the moment. That's what I don't want to do. You know, the only recommendation I've made today is, yes, we need to prioritize mental health in this country because these guns have been around 75 plus years and we didn't have mass shootings the way we do now. Something has clearly changed as it pertains to mental illness. And because we know that to be the case, because we know the numbers of these types of shootings are out there at an intolerably high level. There is no level of this we should be accepting. So if there's one of them, that's too many. Okay, we do need to harden targets. Okay, I haven't taken a lot of calls today. I don't plan on taking a lot of calls because I don't want to get into a political fight while people are burying three young kids. It's just, it crushes me as a parent. I, I don't have it in me. You know, but the truth is, if we wanted to help these kids and we wanted to try to prevent this in the future, the move we're supposed to make is to harden these 
targets. He knows what he's talking about. Put someone with tactical training, put units on the ground, make it known throughout the country that if you show up to a school, you are going to be met with armed resistance. Okay, let them know that. Let's get that one video that circulates all over the Internet. Right now, what these sickos know is they're nobodies, they're losers, they're detached. They're in a place of some type of weapons-grade depression, which I understand. I've been to all kinds of depths of depression in my life, never so much that I wanted to take the life of another person. But the point is, once you have reached the capability of taking an innocent child's life, we no longer owe you our consideration. Okay, it's sad that you got there. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but if we've got to choose between someone who wants to take the life of an innocent child or the innocent child, I got news for you, dude. You're going every single time, every single time. So at some point, what we owe these kids is not another five years of fighting over politics. Okay, if kids are going to be met with force in the school, the least we could do is give the kids a fighting force that's there on their behalf. You want to tell me, well, it's not right that kids should have, you know, armed guards at school. It's like a fortress. Here's a newsflash. If we opened up the lines and talked to people in the inner cities around this country, okay, kids who live in inner cities have been going to school with armed guards and even metal detectors for decades in this country. Decades if they're in a high crime area, if they're in an urban area. That's been a reality. So when you hear a white politician, you know, or a white liberal go on TV and say, we can't do that to our kids. Yeah, maybe your kids are going to school in an exclusive private entity, okay, where they'd never be subjected to something that seems so barbaric or crass or unholy or whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is, if there are people out there that physically want to harm innocent school students, We have to harm them. We have to at least minimize their ability to carry this sort of thing out. So if you want to try to call in and tell me I'm wrong, I'll take it. But you don't have to call in and agree with me. Okay, 888-788-9910. It's just it's a heavy subject. And in between all of these school shootings, we've got this horrific border hearing going on where Mayorkas is just embarrassing himself. We'll carry it at greater length tomorrow. And we've got this effort being made to sell us on the fact that the economy is in good shape. i got to be honest with you. Okay, we're in a bad spot right now. Corrine Jean-Pierre walked out to the White House podium again yesterday and said with a straight face, don't worry about it. The super wealthy are actually going to pay the taxes of the working people. Not even close. But here's the claim. It is clip 29. As the president likes to say, budgets are a statement of values. That's why his budget cuts taxes for working people and families with children by almost $800 billion. And it pays for that by asking the super wealthy and large corporations to pay their fair share, all while not raising taxes at all for anyone making less than uh, $400,000 per year. As the IRS expands by 87,000 agents and they go after something called tip compliance. Tip compliance means if you're a waiter or a waitress or a bartender, the IRS is increasing its scrutiny of people who work and earn tips so they can better monitor your income. Now, when Corrine Jean-Pierre says they're not going to raise taxes on anybody paying more than $400,000, earning you know less than $400,000, I got to be honest with you, okay? Last I checked, there is not a lot of waitresses or bartenders out there that are earning more 
than $400,000. I think he's got a point. Seriously. I don't doubt there are high-end restaurants. I don't doubt that there are fine country clubs. But when you go and increase the tip scrutiny of the IRS, you're going against the little person. You're not going against the rich. Okay, they sell this as class warfare. And they say, don't worry. We're going to increase spending tenfold. But don't worry about it because the rich, the rich are going to pay for this because we're going to jack up their taxes. That's what they say. You are lying your ass off. Every single time because the rich are rich because they're good with money. And someone who's good with money doesn't voluntarily hand it over to a government entity that's managed to get itself $31 trillion in debt, which is why when you hit the rich with a, hey, you're going to pay more in taxes, they hit you back with a lawyer. They hit you back with an accountant. They hit you back with a protracted battle. And five, six years down the road, they settle for a reduced amount of money. It happens every single time. The reason government spending always comes back to the little guy is we don't have the wherewithal to fight back. We don't have the time to fight back. Okay? When you hit the little guy with a letter from the IRS, he is a pinata. Money flies out. Okay? You hit the big guy, a lawyer flies out. An attorney flies out. I've been audited three times. I go find the receipts. Find whatever I can. I do my own taxes. And then I go, what do I owe you? And you give them the money. You don't want trouble. You don't give them a hard time. Okay, we know that. So when they try to sell you on this idea, no, no, this is good for you. We're going after the rich. They can't go after the rich. It's no different than climate change. The rich don't follow the rules they set for themselves. John Kerry, just such a fraud and a phony. Okay, but I want to give this person credit. I don't even know the reporter's name, but we had a random act of journalism, as the late, great Rush Limbaugh used to describe it as. John Kerry was getting interviewed about his climate change initiatives and was asked why all the climate guys fly private. And he was like, well, you don't understand. I buy, we buy carbon credits, so it offsets it. No, no, it doesn't offset your carbon emissions. It just means you're putting a quarter in the swear jar. But it doesn't change the fact that you're increasing pollution as a climate warrior. But here is Kerry, clip 34. Private aviation is, is an example of something where people are starting to pay more attention and um, but when, uh, you know, people who go to Davos to talk about climate change fly private, it seems like they don't want to make. Um, well, they actually I've talked to them about it. They offset. They yeah. buy offsets, they offset and they are working harder than most people I know to be able to try to affect this transition. Right. So you understand what he's saying there? OK, just really think about that. OK, well, you know, it's not an issue because we buy offsets and that. That offsets the emissions because we buy carbon credits. You are so full of shit. It doesn't offset the emissions. It's a swear jar. They're just throwing money in the swear jar. Well, I know I'm a climate warrior and I'm not going to follow the actual climate rules I'm setting forth for the rest of society. But because I threw a little money into a jar, that means the emissions didn't actually happen. This is ridiculous. Here's a little more because this is John Kerry selling you on the idea that China our biggest geopolitical foe on the planet, is making progress with solar panels. Yeah, we're getting them rich. Yes, they own all the mines in Africa, 90% of them, where all of the minerals are mined to make electric car batteries. China's getting rich, and they're amping up their pollution in the process. They're burning the candle at both ends. It's clip 35. Now, China is the largest deployer of solar panels in China. 
they have deployed far more renewable energy than we have or than Europe has. So, yes, they're behind and it's a problem. The coal is a problem. But that's why it's important. We work with China. We reach out to China. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. And the president has tried very hard. Our president has tried hard to separate climate from the other issues that are real that we obviously have with China. But we can't get bogged down by that because this is a universally felt existential challenge to the planet. And it's important that the two largest economies in the world work to try to resolve it. You don't have a clue. China's not doing anything. China's the biggest polluter in the world by about a margin of five. Okay, and they're not adjusting their consumption to help us achieve our climate goals. Why? Because China has openly declared they want to replace us as the world's greatest superpower. Okay, how do you replace us as the world's greatest superpower? You just get out of the way while we're in the process of self-destructing, which is exactly what we're doing. Okay, we decimate our manufacturing base by outsourcing jobs to China. We got relinquished our energy independence by killing or cutting drastically domestic energy production. And then we implement all of these regulations that make it even harder to do business here in the first place, declare war on our energy-based economy, fossil fuels and natural gas and everything in between, and all you're ultimately doing in the process of all of this is empowering China because China is making 90% of the infrastructure for our green energy initiatives, whether you're talking about solar panels, whether you're talking about batteries, okay? We're making them stronger in an effort to achieve our climate goals, our climate goals which ultimately make us weaker. So this idea that John Kerry thinks China's going to help us, yeah, they're going to help us self-destruct. But that's the biggest problem we're facing right now. I mean this. When we talk about this horrible shooting down in Nashville, we talk about the poorest southern border. We are not in a crisis of capability. We're in a crisis of competency. Okay? When you look around at the people running this country, the people making the decisions in this moment, it's impossible not to conclude. We have people in Washington that don't know what they're doing. Critics are calling it the funniest show on the radio. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I almost had it. There are good things going on in this country. Sometimes you can't tell. You look out at the world. You know, the adage, sadly, in... A lot of newspapers around the country, as they would say, growing up, if it bleeds, it leads. Okay, you want to cover the worst news of the day. Uh, But there's progress everywhere. You know, we were highlighting some of it with Emily Campagno in the previous hour. And, uh, I, you know, I can tell you as somebody who returns a few hundred messages a day on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything in between, there are so many wonderful heroic deeds uh, going unnoticed uh, at times, or at least not noticed on the level of national recognition that they should be. But the truth is, like, you folks out there that are, my, I volunteered here, I did that there. You guys are the MVPs that kind of hold this country together. Uh, the people that are prioritizing a greater good. I'm not, like, giving out awards right now. I'm not about to sing Wind Beneath My Wings. My karaoke voice isn't up to par. I need at least five whiskeys <laughs> before, I, before I turn the corner and transition into Teen Wolf, as you might say. Shout out to my man, Mark Holton. 
Uh, but here's a funny one that just caught me yesterday. Not even funny, but a sign of progress. Down in Florida, DeSantis uh, signed a bill, and he seems to be at the forefront. There's about six more school uh, states that are on the cusp of doing this. Uh, that are expanding universal school choice, which is a win for students everywhere because it means if your kid is trapped in a failing school, the parents will now get a financial voucher that they can invest in either a a private school or some type of tutor situation or anything that would prioritize the education of their child better than these teachers unions that are striking and filming flash mobs and going on TikTok and breakdancing. They're crazy. They really are, and your kids are never the priority. But here's DeSantis. I wanted to play this clip 27. We will be signing legislation which will represent the largest expansion of education choice, not only in the history of this state, but in the history of these United States. That is a big deal. For all the manufacturers. And I can just tell you the tale of the tape because I think the results speak for themselves. For all the manufactured civil rights movement in this country, there is no bigger civil rights issue than education. A lot of kids in inner city schools are trapped in failing schools. And they can't get out of those schools because the Democrats oppose school choice because the teachers union is one of the biggest lobbying wings of the Democratic Party. It's the teachers unions and it's the climate people. Okay, but the fact that kids are being denied a proper education. okay, when you talk about the rising tide that lifts all boats, you talk about level the playing field. The Democratic answer to kids in inner city schools underachieving in scholastic tests is to lower the bar. Well, we'll eliminate the honors programs. No, that doesn't raise kids up. That brings all kids down. That is the soft bigotry of low expectations. And we need to be better than that. So the fact that DeSantis is leading the way and other states like Georgia are poised to follow suit, and of course they did this out in Arizona, means there is hope in the world for the next generation. Because Lord knows this generation ain't getting the job done. My goodness gracious. Brian Bremberg, he is the host of the Big Money Show. He is going to join us to talk economy and all things America when we come back right here on Fox Across America. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon playing some Leonard Skinner. Mr. Breeze trying to hold this country together right now. I played Mr. Breeze in my iPhone so much last month that Skinner actually has an order of protection against me. Because when I like a song, I don't know if you do this, uh, but I play it till I don't like it anymore. That's what it is. Joining us now, co-host of The Big Money Show, Brian Brenberg in the house. Hey, hey, hey. Leonard Skinner's Tuesday's gone, but Tuesday's here for us. Tuesday, it is Tuesday. Oh, look at that. Look at that, I'll tell you who can turn a phrase. (laughs) It's Brian Brenberg. Tuesday is that one up. I thought of that last night. I've been waiting all day for it. (laughs) I know it's not true, but I want to tell you this because someone said something to me in the lobby last night. We had just finished taping Gutfeld and I was walking out and some one of the security guards, a funny guy, cracked a joke that he thought was a great joke and said, like, you could use that. And I want you to know, everyone listening at home, in the history of you can use that. You can use that as O for three point five million <laughs> in the history of comedy. So the like, yeah, you yeah, you could use that in your little act if you want there. You know, my wife came up with it on the escalator the other day. You could use that in your little skit. I'm like, yeah, well thank you. But uh I do enjoy employment. 
And uh, this audience has paid money to laugh, so I'm uh, not going to use that. Can I tell you another one, Brenberg, really quick? Because it's all about playing good fundamental ball. You know, this is comedy, everything we do, TV. It can look, you know, uh, like we're entertaining or we're knowledgeable, whatever, but we're actually just doing things correctly. Protocol, procedure, tactics, if you will. Another one you need to know if you ever get into comedy is in the history of private events. Like, say, you're doing a company Christmas party, uh, whatever. You get hired to do a private. You don't ever, ever, ever make fun of the guy. Like, you should say something about Jerry. Uh I'm telling you, get up there. Just go on Jerry. Everybody will get it. You find out Jerry had a 17-year-old dog that died that right. day or it's going through some unspeakable tragedy. And everybody's like, why is this guy going after Jerry? And now you're just dead. And, I, and I, it's the worst. It's not a business where you want to take a lot of unsolicited no, advice no. is what you're saying. No. You you were the only one who stayed in those La Quintas. <laughs> you know, those comedy condos where you could see the 12 dimples in the door from where the state police battery rammed it the night before to get the drugs and the teenage runaway out of the hotel. You were the one who fought that ground war. <laughs> And it instilled in you like a horse sense of knowing what would and wouldn't be funny in a group in front of a group of strangers. There you go. The guy who wants you to go in on Jerry doesn't have that formal training. They defunded his police, you know. He doesn't have the training and the tactical effort, you know, wherewithal. And that's why you bomb at the show. Oh, Can I tell you the worst one ever? Yeah. So there's a guy named Dan Natterman. He's a fantastic comic. Really brilliant, witty guy. Um, I've worked with him a bunch. He did a bunch of Letterman's back in the day. I'm sure he still does the Comedy Cellar downtown. He always has like a film noir like uh, type of vibe. He's like, well, she? Like he talks <laughs> yeah, like that. It's yeah. kind of a character. But that's how he is off the microphone. Uh. So it's not a character. He's a person. He's in like a state of arrested development or whatever. But he's a great guy. And he used to do this great joke about prescription drugs. He's like, you know, they always close these commercials with uh, ask your doctor about Prevagen. And he's like, uh, shouldn't my doctor know about Kevin? <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, is that conversation happening where someone goes in and I go, sorry, pal, uh, you only got two weeks to live. We're not going to make it. He goes, well, doc, what about Prevagen? And the doc's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this great, com- yeah, this great comic, me and Dan Natterman, got booked to do this corporate Christmas party up in Connecticut where unbeknownst to us, they had like an actual Glengarry, Glen Ross scenario play out that day where someone was fired and prosecuted for stealing leads and selling them and repurposing them oh. to another company. So unbeknownst to us, the people running this firm decided they were going to go through with the party anyway, but didn't clue, clue us in on the fact that the mood was a little <laughs> dark. And we, of course, were fed. You know, you got to bring up Lenny if you're going to do the show. Make sure you open with Lenny. You know, you could talk about how, you know, maybe the spread isn't as good this year because of (laughs) Lenny or what have you. (laughs) And not only was this not the time to be going after Lenny, but to some of the people. They hadn't even heard the story yet. Oh, you're breaking breaking news. (laughs) We just died. (laughs) I mean, spoken word bombed for two hours. As we were leaving the stage, Hamas called and claimed responsibility for the act of bombing. They're like, this was us. It was not failing that. You're breaking news. (laughs) The SEC called and said, they're not public yet. Young, popular kid at the firm was probably secretly dating seven different women who don't know about each other. I mean, yeah, finance. And uh, we just level the place. (laughs) And the point is you never, ever, ever want advice from the civilians or the people who don't understand the industries they're trying to legislate, the issues they're trying to legislate, which brings me to climate, okay? 
I played these clips of John Kerry earlier because I was on with Stuart Varney. I was your opening act on Fox Business oh, yeah. today. Oh, yeah. When a guy like John Kerry is talking about carbon credits, it's basically just a swear jar for polluters. Because <laughs> like how they, he was actually asked, he's like, how come you guys can all go to Davos privately on a jet? Yeah. Everyone criticizes you for that. But it's fine. And he goes, well, I pay carbon you credits. Throw money in the jar. Isn't he I just putting money there. in the jar? It is. It doesn't undo the pollution. It is. It's money in the jar. I've never heard anyone say it that way. That's exactly it's right. A, it's a climate swear jar. That's right. Sorry we polluted. He, he, he's got like a personal confessional, yeah. you know, right next door. And all he does and does whatever he wants, shows up at the confessional, and then boom, right back out, whatever he wants. But again, Private jets, no problem. Yeah, but again, his fundamental analysis of climate is flawed. He's basically saying you could use this in your act. That's right. No, I can't. If my act is to reduce climate emissions, this doesn't actually reduce the emissions. You just told me to make fun of Jerry. That's what you did. Now you say something about Jerry. Oh, great. It'll be great as the emissions skyrocket. But John Kerry, he's great because what he does is he admits everything that you're not supposed to say. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like everything that's in the playbook that you're not supposed to let anybody know about, yeah. he throws it right out there for yeah. you. So yeah. you're like, okay, that's that's what you got on page 38 of the playbook. That's When you're, when you're lined up for this, you're going to run the option. I can see remember, it. Do you remember that Super Bowl with the Raiders coach? Okay. We used to coach the Buccaneers. Okay, so, excuse me, the Buccaneers coach, John Gruden, right. used to coach the Raiders. And Callahan, who succeeded him on the Raiders, didn't change the hand <laughs> signals or any of the audible calls at the line of scrimmage. And the Buccaneers, who had one of the lowest aggregate scoring totals of a team to right. play in the Super Bowl, score like 50 points in the Super Bowl because they know every play right. that's coming off the sideline. That's John Kerry. John Kerry was like, red, red, red. Everyone's like, we know yeah. what red's going to do. We know where he's going with this one. So he's telling Yahoo News. He's like, no, no, China, you know, the president's working really hard to get them to work with us on our climate goals. Right. But China, you know, the old political adage, never interrupt your opponent when they're in the process of self-destructing. That's right. That's how they're working with us. Oh, no. They're just helping us along. Like I said, I, I, I always think that China, like the flag was thrown after the snap right now, and China's yeah. just running whatever play they yeah, yeah. want because it doesn't matter. It's a free play. They got a year and a half to run the play. It's a free one. It's a free play. Brian Brenberg is in studio, co-host of the Big Money Show. And they're not just working on big money. They're working on a big baseball card wall. So where are we in your office? And just so the off, the, yeah. the, the, oh. the audience knows, Brenberg uh, is in this new flashy office, a big-time TV host now. Super flashy. But he's, he's, decor- he's adorning it with baseball cards. And I know we're a few cards in. Is that where we're at? We're a, couple, we're a few cards in. I've got a huge bulletin board. And mm-hmm. so we're, these are going to be cheap, great cards from kind of the junk wax era of baseball cards, Love basically. Yeah. So we started with... A classic, 87 Bo Jackson, oh, the oh. future star. Bo knows Just a, a, Anybody who was collecting cars in that era loved that card. Mm-hmm. Came in second with a McGuire 87 rookie. That was the card you were going to retire on. Thank you. It's worth a buck now. <laughs> it's up on the bulletin <laughs> board. But we've got, I've got some great ones. And there's a story with every card. So uh-huh. every time I post one, I'm going to kind of, it's going to fit into the story. You give them a little something as so to So I'll why. tell you, the next one's going to have, it's, the story and the next one's going to cross with Bo Jackson again. You might even be able to guess. Ooh. Hold on now. This this is on my And I want to be clear. These are not just baseball cards. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next one's coming in is going to be a Bo Jackson um, theme. Oh, yeah. Well, that made me think Deion Sanders, no, but that's not, not what you're Deion. telling There'll me. There'll be a Deion Sanders at some point. Do no, you, have it's, you ever it's, heard? Okay. Yeah, it's Bo, Bo tangling with somebody. Oh, a I famous did. A famous encounter, let's say. One of them had their way with the other. 
Whoa, I'm whoa. talking about on the field here. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but I'm thinking about this. Oh, Brian Bosworth. Yeah. Boom, you ain't getting keep nothing an eye by out me, for the, Keep an eye out for the Boz on the, uh, the cardboard do, wall of glory. Do you, <laughs> I love this. Do you know that, I think I told you this, I went to Bo Jackson's uh, first game at Yankee Stadium. Uh, he was a Royals left fielder for this particular game. He had just announced he was going to play Monday Night Football. It was going to be his hobby. Yeah. That was the take, and everybody was mad at him for calling football a hobby. <laughs> and the drunk next to me yelled, they're going to break your legs for seven and a half innings. <laughs> like, literally every pitch. You know how slow a baseball game can be? So how many times do you think I heard they're going to break your legs? Till I finally turned to my right, and I was like, Mom, <laughs> yeah. enough. Hey, good night, everybody. But no, it was a guy next to me. He was like, they're going to break your legs. Every They're going to break your legs. Uh, let's talk about this talking about attacking people so maybe it's purely coincidental but i understand the irs while matt taibbi was testifying last week just showed up to his house as happens to be unbelievable (laughs) Uh uh-huh i mean it's this is one of those stories where where you're just like that 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 can't be there's no way Mm -hmm. there's no way an adult would ever make a plan that says while the guy's on the hill going after exposing all of our problems we're going to send one of our guys to his house. This and is, he'll know about it. And he'll know like, it's from this us. This is like the christening during the Godfather. Right. While they're at the church. We're whacking people around the country. These guys. And, and, and it's like we've just spent, I don't know, like the last year talking about how the 87,000 agents and the $80 billion aren't just going to be used for the wealthy. Like that's been a story for a year. Uh-huh. And these guys, as soon as they got somebody in their crosshairs, they send the IRS. That's the part. Uh, we're talking to Brian Bremberg. That's the part that they, they can't work long con. Like they can't conceal their agenda long enough to get away with the play no. fake. Because they also admitted that certain types of stoves are going to have to go after all. Yeah. Do you remember this started on the right? And I, I didn't play this earlier. Let, react to this with me. I love doing this with you. Let me give you a clip number here, Josh. It's Granholm. It was clip 33. So hold on. Let me just set this up. So if you remember, Brian, when this story came out, Republicans like, oh, the Democrats want to ban certain stoves. That's, you know, they're coming in. Democrats always tell you, you know, Republicans don't belong in the bedroom. But the Democrats are in literally every room of your house. They're having an HGTV show. They're in your garage (laughs) with your car. They're in your kitchen with your dishwashers, your low grade, you know, and now the stove thing. So if you remember, they always float these ideas to see what the response is going to be. And, of course, the response is like, hell no, you ain't banning no stove. And then we're like, well, of course we're not. This is a Republican thing. We, we would never want to ban the stoves. But they can't, you know what I'm saying? No. They can't hold the cards. They have no poker face. Nope. So here's Jennifer Granholm doing what you said about John Kerry, <laughs> just leaking the playbook, clip 33. The gas stoves that would be impacted are high impact, high, excuse me, high end gas stoves. Oh, for the, right. you know, the more, most expensive gas stoves. In many cases, they have very heavy grates mm-hmm. and the burners can be an oval shape, which causes uh, an excess amount of natural gas to be emitted. I mean, come don't, on. Don't worry. If you're poor, you can't afford anything heavy. Yeah. So you won't have to deal with this. We're only going after billionaire gas yeah, stoves. See they did. They repurposed it. They repurposed it as class warfare. Yeah. And this originally started. This is the scam. This originally started because they said it was disproportionately affecting people of color in inner cities. Gas stoves. Climate change always needs a cosigner. Yeah. Because nobody cares. Nobody prioritizes it on the level they do. Yeah. So they always have to tie it to something. Okay. It's 
it's either it's racism right. or class warfare or the patriarchy or something yeah. in between. But they can't just give it to you as climate because nobody cares. Yeah. It's such a racket. So they I'm went thinking. from this is going to help the poor and marginalized to it's going to punish the rich. Yeah. They just they just changed the they narrative. Changed, on they madmanned this. They <laughs> went to their Madison Avenue marketing office, had a cigar and a scotch, and they're like, "All right, the poor inner city thing isn't working. Eat the rich. All right, let's yeah. eat the rich. Here we go. <laughs> that one. Let's go eat the rich. Throw it against the wall. See if it sticks. Here they go. Eat the rich. Get them out there. Eat the rich. And that's exactly what they did. And it's so amazing. Okay, because we began this talking about fundamentals. They, this administration does not hit the cutoff, man. They're just not a good fundamental administration when it comes to messaging and when it comes to running the country. Yeah. And I think, I, you know, I kind of said this when the last election was taking place. We grew up in an era where you just rooted for the president no matter who they were because yeah. they go, we go. Now, obviously, there are vast policy differences between us and this administration, but I'd like to see them do a better job. But I don't feel like, and I, we've had this conversation I don't know that they want to. I feel like we're tanking for draft picks. I, I See, what happens, you, you get bad at fundamentals if you're in a situation where, like, the umps are on your side. Yeah. You don't have to hit the cutoff, man, if they're going to call a guy out even though he beat the, the, the tank case, by the five media, feet, you know? The media is the ump. Yeah, so, like, the problem is these guys have been playing with, with such a rigged game in terms of the ump. Point. That they're like, I don't have to. I'm not even going to throw it to the cutoff, <laughs> man. <laughs> when it comes to Democrats, the media gives everybody a trophy. Yeah. And that's the problem was we always say with everybody gets a trophy is they don't learn how to play the game. Yeah. And, and so now the and the media landscape has changed just enough now yep. that there's sort of like another ump on the field saying, hey, these guys all blew it. You know, they're all wearing <laughs> blinders. What actually happened is he tagged them out. <laughs> it's working. And, and, this, and they're like, well, he's not the real ump. He doesn't, who's, he's who's, fake ump. Who's this racist cisgender right. ump? <laughs> Get him out of here. Misinformation ump over here. <laughs> this is debunked. Right. This ump was debunked and they throw the big word. And half the country's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And this is why we can't have nice things. That's right. The Big Money Show, it's a nice thing. And they've got nice baseball and football cards coming their way. Might even have a basketball card up there I'm into that. soon. Me and Lincoln have been working uh, on our contribution to the board. And it's been a, it's been a point of contention yeah. in the House. Because okay. Lincoln has you know, some, his own agenda politics. You know what I mean? <laughs> One thing that was never up for contention, though, it was really funny. Give him credit for this. Do you remember how we had this phenomenal listener who gave us from Oklahoma the signed Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle thing? Because he heard you and me on the radio, and he's from Commerce, Oklahoma. Awesome. And uh, I said to Lincoln, I'm like, well, we could give Brenberg the Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris thing. And he goes, I second that, man. I'd never give that to me. I would never give that to me. He's like, you should be. You should use that in your skit. You <laughs> can have it. Yeah, you can use that in your little skit. It's what you can do. The card's coming, Brenberg. We're back after this. You're riding around with America's cabbie. Taxi. Taxi. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Bottom of the ninth on Fox Across America. You want to help? I'll tell you how to help. Don't be a That is it. I say this every day on the show. When you look around at the world today, half of the country right now is trying to portray the shooter down in Nashville as the victim. But this is an appetite on Twitter right now. If you go on to social media, like, well, the Republicans... They're anti-trans bigotry. 
the Republicans and if they led to and that you don't understand this is what Shut up, will you shut up? Just shut up. The shooter is responsible for the shooting. Okay? Um and there is nothing, just nothing, in the conservative take on trans rights that is hostile or harmful or wishful of ill will on anyone dealing with some type of gender dysmorphia. What you hear from the right is, hey, it's America. Anybody can be anything they want to be. They grow up, you want to be this, go be it. Just don't force it on the kids. And if you're going to force it on your kid, doesn't mean it should get forced on my kid. We should all have that freedom. But the reality that we should be teaching kids about sex in kindergarten is something we all agreed on as recently as a year ago was disgusting. The idea now that anybody who is expressing any type of intellectual opposition to sexualizing children should somehow be classified as bigotry on a level that provoked someone into shooting innocent children, sorry, that's not going to work. Okay, if you find yourself defending a shooter of children, I promise you, you're on the wrong side of this thing. But regardless of where the night happens to take you, it's a real toxic time in society to see the debate descend into such a circle. So be cool. You know they say in Pulp Fiction when he's like, be cool. That's all I need you to do. Be a Republican. Be a Democrat. Just don't be a. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.